Um, it's just delightful. And uh, my sister's getting married in uh, Wrightsville Beach next summer, so we've gotten to explore that a little bit as well and had a great time. We've been to Jungle Rapids. Woo! And uh, for a birthday party, that was really cool. And uh, I've had some great conversations uh, throughout the city. So I think I'm supposed to dismiss the kids uh, that are heading off uh, kindergarten through second grade. It looks like they maybe have already sneaked out. So it's okay if you stay. Um, As you uh, can see from your bulletin, one of our favorite family movies is Cars, the uh, Disney Pixar film that uh, tells the story of Lightning McQueen, this uh, hotshot race car. And uh, as if you know the story, I think most parents in here would know it. If your kids have seen it, maybe some grandparents have watched it with their grandchildren. Uh, McQueen gets stuck in Radiator Springs, this little uh, town off of Route 66, and he has this uh, wilderness experience. And he meets Doc Hudson, this uh, old retired race car driver who is a secret legend because he's won the Piston Cup three times. And McQueen, this is what he wants to win so bad, is this Piston Cup. And they begin this uh, tense relationship between Hudson and McQueen that develops into this unlikely friendship of, of teacher and disciple. And there's this great scene um, in the film where uh, Hudson challenges Cocky McQueen to a, a race with a sharp banking left turn. And, you know, McQueen in his cockiness, when, the, when I think Guido drops the flag, he sprints off really fast and he goes really quickly into the left-hand turn and he's going so fast, what happens? He flies off the cliff. And falls into cactuses. <laughs> and who has to rescue him but Mater, right? He takes, takes his hook and has to rescue him from the cactuses. And Hudson uses this opportunity to begin to teach McQueen that he's going to actually have to turn his wheels the opposite of direction, not left like he thinks, but to the right because he's sliding so fast to maintain his stability. He's actually going to have to turn his wheels the opposite direction. And McQueen thinks this old man is foolish and doesn't listen. And he flies off the cliff, right? Again and again and again because he won't listen to the wise old car. Well, I'm convinced that um, in many ways Jesus is doing the same thing with this text right here. Uh, these Beatitudes from Matthew's Gospel here in chapter 5, these first 12 verses of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Many of you have probably read it. And he's going to challenge um, his disciples both then and now to, to turn uh, our lives in the opposite direction of what makes sense. It's going to feel strange. Uh, even wrong, maybe according to the laws of spiritual physics. That somehow this, this upside down world of the kingdom is not going to make sense, but it's the only way that you're going to not fly 
off the cliff. And as I walk you through this text uh, this morning, uh, we, you and I, uh, like the disciples, have the privilege to join Jesus as he expands our kingdom vision. I'm going to give you the uh, the 30,000 foot view, if you will, the the big picture of what I think Jesus is doing. And you could easily preach a sermon on every one of these verses. And maybe you've heard sermon series on every one of these verses. But I'm going to give you the um, the beatitude panoramic broad snapshot. This wonderful news that Jesus is bringing. It's his warm up, if you will. It's his uh, kingdom inauguration address. He's setting the stage. He's setting the tone. About his kingdom, and it has both a present and future reality. It matters now. And it's going to matter in the future. And on the one hand, as we look at these verses, these beatitudes are this grand picture of how to live in the presence, in the present of what makes sense in the future. It's as if the life of heaven, where God is king, is becoming the life of the world. Where the empire reigns. You know, we use that language a lot where I'm from, this kind of kingdom empire, uh, star Wars, language, empire, kingdom. The empire reigns here, but not long. It's losing ground. It's like uh, flowers that are bursting up through cracks of concrete. You see them occasionally. That's what's happening here. And Jesus is going to challenge us, I think, to put on our kingdom lenses. Get you some Google Glass. I don't know if you have them yet. They're coming. It's going to change the way you see the world, right? Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. But you and I know that a kingdom movement is always met with resistance. Jesus tells us that following him isn't rosy. It's filled with pain, sorrow, mourning, poverty of spirit, persecution, lack of peace. Why? Because the empire reigns still in our hearts and around us. So though there's this picture of beauty, there's also this reality of pain. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've read him at all. He's like the the man to read on the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't read his cost of discipleship, I've got a quote for you here on the front. He says the world dreams of progress, power and of the future. But the disciples meditate on the end. The last judgment and the coming kingdom to such heights the world cannot rise. And I would add because it's too big. The kingdom is too big. And so the disciples are strangers in the world. Unwelcome guests and disturbers of the peace. No wonder the world rejects them. And so as we read these This morning together, I want you to hear that Jesus is not saying these are steps a follower of his does outwardly to earn kingdom entry. This isn't a merit based application. Nor is this kingdom life impossible. And you just 
kind of leave it in the world of ideas and you privatize your spiritual faith. But rather, these descriptions mixed with peace and pains are the signs of life. The language of life, the life of the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to bring for you to experience now and forever. They're marks of grace. They're good news of God's redemptive movement in your life. Even the painful and uncomfortable parts. He's rescuing you right now, maybe, for his kingdom. And these signs are the evidence of the transformation happening in your life to live into the reality of the real world of the kingdom, both now and in the future. I love how um, the band Switchfoot gets it. They've got this great song titled The Afterlife. It says he goes like this. I've tasted fire. I'm ready to come alive. I can't just shut it up and fake that I'm all right. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. I let it burn the way the sunlight burns my skin in Wilmington, North Carolina. I felt some of that heat. The way you feel inside, the way the day begins. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the other side. So are you ready? Oh, come on. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. It's big. It's so big. So here we go. So Christ Community Church. Blessed are you. Verse three. Who are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yes, this is wonderful news for you who are poor. Spiritually bankrupt because you know you have nothing to offer the creator of the universe. He's created you and yet God is eager to give you the kingdom. You're a part of his kingdom renewal project and plan and he's going to fill you up with what you lack. Poor, yes. Spiritually poor, yes. But you are in on this vast secret of kingdom wealth. Blessed are you. And there's some wonderful news for those who mourn. Verse 4. The text says, for they shall be comforted. Those that weep for all that's wrong and unjust in our broken world. That grieve over the ways of the world, whether it's the destruction by human hands or ferocious wildfires in the West that killed 19 firefighters. Blessed are you who weep. You know, I was thinking the world laughs and mocks a lot and makes a profit at doing it. And, you know, I'm the first to tell you I love comedy and the power of satire. I love SNL. I love Jon Stewart. I love Stephen Colbert. I love Key and Peele, all these guys that are brilliant. But you see, the life of a kingdom follower is one where there's mourning. We mourn. With our broken and sad world, because we know the great comforter will come and heal. 
You know, in Winston-Salem, years ago, I used to be a part of a, a group called Vigils for Healing. And we would go to the plot of earth in our city where someone was murdered. And, and me and another clergy member in our community would go and we would weep with the family and we would grieve. But we would come together and say, no, 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 death will not have the final say here. Oh, death, where's your victory? There's power in the kingdom that will push back the darkness. And we weep with you. We know someone that will help you, friends. And there was a great power, a unique power that happened in those moments. Blessed are the meek, verse 5, not the weak, the meek. Those who with a controlled desire to see the interests of others advance ahead of their own. That's meekness. Those are the ones who inherit the earth. Don't you love the kingdom economics in this text? Generosity, giving is your gain. Hoarding is your loss. Do you know people like this? Where their whole goal is the growth of others and not themselves. I'm convinced the best teachers and the best mentors and the best parents and the best leaders are those type of people that understand meekness. Where they're putting the interests of others or their organization ahead of themselves. And apparently it's quite rare in our culture to even talk this way. According to David Brooks, uh, uh, one of the writers I love, he says we've become such a hyper-individualistic culture that we don't even use words like meekness anymore. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Justice is really the better translation Hunger and thirst for justice. You're the kind of person that can taste it and you smell it and you want it so bad. And you're so tired of the trash that gets thrown down upstream like these logs I've seen down the river. We got in our hotel and I said to the bellman, there's a log in the river. He says, oh, that's normal. I said, Okay. You know, these these things that are creeping down the river and you don't know how they got there. Maybe that's natural here. But the unnatural things that come downstream. But you want to be like Amos. You want justice to roll down like water and righteousness like an ever flowing clean stream. (laughs) Instead of log filled. Yeah, rocks too. You want to make things right. And there's good news for you because God's going to satisfy your heart's desire for what is right and good and whole. And he's going to heal a dead and dying land that's been starved by injustice. And blessed are the merciful, those at the other end of the stream. For they shall receive mercy, verse 7. 
Those who, like God, offer compassion in action, forgiveness, healing to aid those drowning downstream, casting the net of mercy and rescue. You know, uh, folks at, at my church, uh, we talk about first world troubles and that they matter. I don't know if you find yourself comparing yourself to the third world or those that are what appears to be uh, far off worse than you. But let me just list a few first world troubles in my congregation. Depression, anxiety, emotional trauma, distorted self-image, joblessness, infertility, struggles with kids. And I say to my folks, those problems matter and I've got two elders, two key leaders in my church. It's just raining pain in their life. I mean, awful stuff is happening. Elders, godly men, godly families. And I, and I sometimes wonder, what more can they take? And one friend said, mercy. I was like, yes, mercy. Yes. The, you know this, the best uh, givers of mercy are the ones who've received it. They're just one beggar telling the other beggar where the bread is. Blessed are the merciful. And there's good news, verse 8, for the pure in heart. For they can see God. The pure in heart can see God. Those that recognize that the words that roll off our tongues come from a deeper place. That we have a heart problem, not just a tongue problem. They're the ones that are looking to see God. And they know that their heart is what drives their dark self-portrait, whether it be of pride or pity. And blinds them from seeing their creator and how much he loves his children. I don't know if you've seen these dove real beauty sketches by the company that makes the soap. This sketch artist brings in these three women and he asks them to describe themselves. And so he sketches their picture and then they leave and then he brings in. Some either friends or folks that have actually seen these women. And he does the same thing. He says, would you describe these women to me? And he draws the picture. And then he brings the women back in. And he has these two pictures. One on the left of how the women see themselves and one on the right. And the one on the left are these women who all they see is their, their, their wrinkles and their gray hair and their and, and the dark circles under their eyes and they're kind of frowning and unhappy and it's just awful. <laughs> and then the other picture is, is of how others see them and it's, they have light in their eyes and they actually have color in their hair and they, they're smiling. And it's just this great illustration of how dark our hearts are. How hard we have seeing the truth and how much we're loved. I watch that over and over again and I just weep. Because I resonate with that and I know there's others that resonate with that dark struggle of pride or pity. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9. They will be known as the children of God. Those afraid of confronting sin and speaking truth with love. They want real peace. They're peacemakers, not peace fakers. That are quick to repent and admit weakness. They want trust to be recovered where it has been lost. They want the kingdom shalom to come and push back chaos and deception and mistrust. To restore wholeness and health and vitality. Blessed are the peacemakers. I have this thing I call my daily reminder of peacemaking. You know, it's like if you ever have those little flip things that kind of this is my own personal one. It goes something like this. Anger and fear will control my life until I discover the difference between the things I can control and the things I cannot. Success and peace will come with the application of my energies to those things I can change through my commitment to caring relationships, ownership of my work, and integrity in communication and practice. And i got to confess to you that I often get these flipped. (laughs) I'm trying to bring peace to things I have no control over. And it drives me nuts. But I love that. You know it. That sense of where you can bring peace into a situation that you do have control over. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then Jesus concludes these final four, three verses. He says in verse 10, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a closer. The message puts it this way. Count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer, even throw a party for they don't like it. I do. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. You ever done that? You ever thrown yourself a persecution party? (laughs) I mean, I've thrown myself a lot of pity parties. But a persecution party where you get folks over one evening and talk about how rough it was. But how God used you in that moment. Rejoice and be glad. I know you shouldn't be surprised. You've been in it, right? First Peter's big theme. Do not be surprised. Jesus says they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Surely they will do that to you as well. In many ways, Jesus summarizes the kingdom tension for us, doesn't he? That our kingdom life is mixed with beauty and pain, heartache and hope, suffering and glory. It's all right there in those 12 verses. And that the kingdom life and expansion is always met with resistance. 
As the kingdom pushes back the empire, it's always met with resistance. And I have a friend, even back home, he's a part of a Christian organization that's healthy, has money, human capital, and he's ready for expansion. He's ready to go into the harder places. And they're waving the red flag, not the green flag. Put on the brakes, hunker down, play it safe. Maybe we'll even give you a raise to stay quiet. Friends, that's resistance. That kingdom resistance. And you're going to need faith this morning and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and back here again next Sunday to believe Jesus' words to turn your wheels in the opposite direction. You're going to need tremendous faith to trust Jesus. And you see, the disciples were soon to find out that Jesus not only had a bold kingdom message, but he was on a kingdom mission. With a final destination that was a cross. (laughs) He was turning their whole world upside down. And that somehow the reign of the evil empire, both in their hearts and around them, was going to be defeated by sacrifice, not self-preservation. That he was going to conquer evil by being conquered. It was as if the kingdom of God was going to fail in order to succeed. And friends, you and I know that that's the truth, is that our hope lies in this paradox, doesn't it? That we have strength through weakness, that we live by dying, that we succeed by failing, and that the cross is the place where Jesus wins. And it's big. That's why Bonhoeffer can say, Where is there any place on earth for a community of strangers like this? There's one place. And only one where the poorest and the meekest and the most sorely tried of all men and women and I would add boys and girls are to be found at the cross at Golgotha. That's where you come. And friends, you and I live by this paradox every day. The kingdom life starts at the cross. That's why Jesus had to sacrifice his body in blood. It cost him everything for both our present and future gain. We take communion at Salem every week because we need it (laughs) every week. Because we forget that it's our only place of safety and healing and even beauty and wholeness. Especially for the broken and the weak. That maybe you don't feel like you're marked by this blessed life of the Beatitudes. You come. You admit. You turn. You, you, this, this is what qualifies you. These are the marks. These marks of the kingdom, if anything, should push you to Jesus. Not away. I'm going to tell you the end of the movie Cars because it's so good. I'm sorry if I'm going to, but you know, if you haven't seen it, Hotshot McQueen is a new kind of race car. 
Because his discipleship with Doc Hudson has mattered. And there's a shocking ending at the film because he's about to win the Piston Cup. He wants this so bad. He's been working at this so hard. He's so competitive. When his fierce competitor wrecks the king. And McQueen sees this happen in his rearview mirror. And just before the finish line, he slams on the brakes. And while his evil competitor zooms past him for the win, McQueen doesn't win. Kids, please get this. He doesn't win. He really doesn't. My kids struggle still. They think he wins. He doesn't win. He doesn't win. And then in... Thank you. You got it. And then McQueen in meekness drives back to the injured king and pushes him across the finish line. And the crowd erupts. And I'm getting, woo, I'm getting excited now. I'm sitting next to my kids. I'm like, this is big. This is really big. I'm getting teary-eyed. Whoa, because this is a big story. This is a big moment, right? McQueen loses the piston cop. Yeah, but he wins so, something so much bigger. What is it? Joy. He has joy. And he lost, but he's full of joy. And he does it with joy. And he, he has learned to turn his wheels in the opposite direction. And he's a new race car. Yes. And friends, you and I know that all the good stories point us to the great story, don't they? That we have on offer right now to be new human beings, new men, new women, new boys, new girls. To live into what we were created to be. And there is only one ultimate meek man. Jesus Christ, right? Who sacrificed his life so that he might go back and find me and you and push us across the line. And he did it with what? Joy. He did it with joy. And that is good news, friends, because you're going to finish You're going to finish this race of life, even when others are zooming past you. And you have a present and future reality that will last now and forever. Amen. Okay, let me let me pray for us. Help us believe it. Help me believe that. This morning. It seems so backwards in my mind and in my heart uh, to to turn these wheels in the opposite direction of what makes sense. I pray for faith, maybe new faith this morning for someone here that doesn't believe. I pray for faith. I pray for renewed faith. Maybe there's many here that are struggling to believe. 
I pray that the marks of grace and the marks of the kingdom would push us to Jesus. Thank you for his work on the cross, that he did it with joy. Amen.